from any movie theater not playing Transformers 3, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two men whose every side is their blind side, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. And, uh, you know, we don't say it often enough, but that opening music is courtesy of Ball and Chain. A you ter- said that last week. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm giving them a little more of a plug. You know, uh. it's Ball and Chain. They're a great L.A. Uh, local band. You can find them all over the place. Troubadour and every once in a while. A bunch of guys who have very interesting day jobs, and then they rock at night. I was at the Troubadour about two weeks ago. Were you really? I, I swear to God I was. What were you doing there? Uh, you know, I saw Liz Fair. Liz Fair is a, a and, '90s and, uh, girl yes, totally. rocker. I know. I love Liz Fair, and I was a big fan of Liz Fair. And uh, she's kind of slipped off the radar a little bit. Uh, but uh, you know what? She was, at the, she was at the Troubadour. I said, you know what? I got nothing going on tonight. I happen to stumble upon the ad. I'm going for it. Her song "Extraordinary," which is about the poppiest thing she's ever. It's like the only top forty tune she's ever had. But it's a great song to listen to when you're running. Well, the, the thing with the thing with that, did we talk about this? Is yeah, how maybe. is how she you know she did Exile in Guyville, yeah. and had this you know kind of indie thing going, and then a couple of years ago she decided to blatantly go commercial, go commercial, like yeah. literally just just unashamedly, unabashedly, with no apologies, go commercial, and uh, it didn't work. You know, uh, this is a show about DVDs. What? And Blu-rays, and eventually it's just going to be a show about streaming. And, and not even necessarily streaming movies. It'll just be about, you know, streamers and... And streaking. And streaking. With special guest David Niven. Thank you. Why? <laughs> because the, the streaker ran behind him in the Oscars. He the Oscars and he said he's showing his shortcomings. Whatever it was. It was yes. Night, what was that, 1978 or something? Oh, really? Was it that late? Uh, maybe it was earlier. Maybe it was 76. I don't know. Let me see. I'm going to look that look up right up. now, Wait, Look it up. But we have a little bit of interesting news, and I find this to be fascinating. Um, this is some news that broke uh, just within this last week. Oh, by the way, good Passover? A uh, good Passover. Good. It uh, was a lot of fun, a lot of food. It's always here's, a lot of food. Here's the problem, Wade. I don't like eating late at night. Yeah. Because when I eat late at night, I wake up and I get fat. And right now, I am five pounds heavier than I've been in uh, since 2003. Wow. So I need to now I am five pounds heavy, and I don't like it. But I have to eat late at night because you are. It is socially unacceptable well, to not eat and partake at the Jewish seder. I, I understand. Normally, that. I would not eat. You know what? Same thing's going to happen to me next week on Easter. So there you go. The best thing about Easter are the, are the chocolate covered, uh, no, the, uh, the uh, peanut butter filled chocolate eggs. Uh, yeah, okay. I don't eat those, but okay. What? Uh, anyway, no, here's some uh, interesting news Warner Archive Collection to offer titles from Sony Pictures Screen Classics by request. I find this to be a fascinating development. I'm just going to read a little bit from this press release because it's worth talking about. Warner Brothers Home Entertainment Group and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment today announced that... 1974. There we go. Earlier than I thought. Announced that Warner Archive Collection, Warner's online on-demand distribution arm, will offer select catalog titles from Sony Pictures Screen Classics by request beginning April 13th, which is now passed. Uh, featuring approximately 150 manufactured on-demand titles from the Columbia Pictures Library, including films like Genghis Khan, A Song to Remember, and A Study in Terror. Uh, and I think this is interesting because all you know, Warner started this uh, manufacture on-demand. They call it MOD. And uh, Fox has gotten in on it now, doing a lot of stuff from Fox and from uh, MGM. We're going to talk about some of them today. We've got several of them here. And um, Sony was was dabbling in it, and now Sony is going to get their titles offered on the Warner site, which I find really interesting because it's basically Sony saying, you know what, Warner has a head start on this. We're not going to try to compete. We'll just cut a deal with them and make these titles available on their site, and we'll get a piece of it, and it's all gravy for us. But the weird thing is that Sony is a technology company. They I make know. videotape. They make I Playstations. I know. You'd think that they would just find a better, even, even not only do it, but find a better way to do it. You would think, but it's interesting. I mean, I, I, if the choice is between not having the catalog titles and having them on the Warner site, I, I'll take this option any day. Oh, sure. But it's just, it's very, very interesting to me. I find that to be a fascinating and curious uh, development. Well, Wade, you're a fascinating and curious man. 
And we have some uh, listener mail. What? By the way, you want to send us listener mail, send it to gods at digigods.com. We're always there. We're always fair. We're always square. Mark Shelley. <laughs> I don't know where what that came that? from. We're always there. We're always we're fair. fair we're always square. That's it. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. It's our new I, it was like motto. a. Well, I'm I'm auditioning for game show host these days. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for anybody out there. Anybody who wants to let me uh, host a dumb game show? Whatever happened to the game show network? Never it's mind. Still, no, it's still around. Is it okay? One one of the shows I work on used to re- was one of the, was like the top repeat on the game show network. Really? Doggy Dog was one of the top game uh, well, top repeats. And they on have the some, Game Show Network. They have some original games there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Original yeah, yeah. game show. Of course. They're looking for hosts. That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> yeah, they're looking for hosts. They're not looking for you. Okay. That's well, how that works. There we go. So, uh, Mark, as long as it's you know Passover season. Yes, we will talk about uh, <laughs> uh, Jews and baseball. Now, uh, Jews and baseball was directed by uh, Peter Miller. And um, this is all about uh, the Jewish contribution to the national pastime. I thought this film was basically fine. The problem is that once you get past some of the interesting stories about Jewish players and we know what uh, what they overcame after World War II and early 20th century when they were trying to assimilate, once you get past all that stuff, the rest of it is, is really not very interesting. It's really just, like I told way before the show, the, this movie is like reading the Jews in Baseball Wikipedia page, where there's not, you know what, the, Miller, God love him, he does, you know, he just carts out the usual suspects, Mo Berg, uh, the catcher, who was also a spy. He talks about um, Hank Greenberg, who was the subject of, a, of, of, of another and better documentary called The Life and Times of Hank Greenberg. He also talks to uh, Bud Selig, who's also Jewish, and, uh, but in the end, you know, never goes for the big think, um, never really tries to expand on the existing material. Uh, with going, you know, by going with a new angle, yeah. he just kind of puts it out there. So it's very f- fine, but it's very dry and not all that. There, there, there's better resources, including the hi- the life and times of Hank Greenberg, what which, a, I, would, which it, I would recommend over Jews in Baseball, including the Jews in Baseball Wikipedia page. That is true. Yeah, is there even one? I'll bet there is. Well, there's there's uh, is there a Wikipedia page on the idea of Jews playing baseball? I don't know. Let's find out. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, we got a bunch of really interesting uh, ephemera. I don't get to often use the word ephemera. We have some interesting film and television history ephemera here. So I'm going to go through here. Uh, Terry Thomas is one of my all-time favorite comedic actors. I adore Terry Thomas. In fact, you know, Jack Lemmon in The Great Race is basically doing Terry Thomas. You realize that Snidely Whiplash is basically Terry Thomas. You do realize this, right? <laughs> Like all of these these impersonations, these characterizations, these personifications, these uh, indications, these retrogrations would not exist. <laughs> oh, you're trying to... I know, I'm trying to do a thing. You're trying to gild the lily. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, they wouldn't exist if not for Terry Thomas. Terry Thomas, of course, that amazing British actor with the diastema and the uh, diabolical mustache who showed up in a, a lot of great comedies uh, throughout the 50s and 60s. We have a couple of films here from 1959 and 1960 on a single double feature. It's the Terry Thomas comedy double feature from VCI. VCI, of course, does a lot of great uh, classic uh, archival stuff. And uh, these are the films, two films that you've probably never heard of before, Too Many Crooks and Make Mine Mink. Um, the, now, the Terry Thomas film that I always like to talk about because it's just really funny is uh, Munster Go Home, the, uh, the feature film from the Munsters where Terry Thomas has the, the line where he says, and then I'll bash him on the cranium with something jagged. It's, one of my, it's my all-time favorite Terry Thomas line. <laughs> then I'll bash him on the cranium with something jagged. And he says that in a really sophisticated British accent. So, But otherwise, uh, Terry Thomas showed up in so many great movies. And Too Many Crooks and Make Mine Mink are really, it's a great double feature. It's a lot of fun. If you are unfamiliar with Terry Thomas, you should definitely go check this out. At least rent it. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's just, it, each film is about 90 minutes on average, and uh, he is so unbelievably funny. And this is great British comedy filmmaking from that, uh, that great kind of golden era of the late 50s, early 60s, when, uh, you know, a lot of Ealing comedies were made and all that kind of stuff. And then also from uh, VCI, we've got another double feature, another comedy double feature, uh, the Diana Dorse comedy double feature. These films are An Alligator Named Daisy and Value for Money. If you are unfamiliar with Diana Doris, don't feel bad. 
Uh, I thought I had seen just about everything ever in the history of movies, and I was completely unfamiliar unfamiliar with Diana Dorse. Um, so it was interesting to kind of jump into this and see who this woman is. Um, really, tr- kind of a kind of a British Marilyn Monroe sort of. Uh, not quite, but close enough. Brassy Blonde, very funny, and these are actually quite good movies. I'm shocked that I'd never heard of them before. I'm shocked that I'd never heard of her before, but uh, you should definitely check it out. An Alligator Named Daisy is actually a pretty terrific little movie. Uh, that one uh, was made in uh, 1955 and uh, belongs kind of to the same general ilk, the same general uh, field of co- British comedy from that same period. So um, check them out. Really great kind of uh, just good comedies. And speaking of good comedies, we also have the uh, Bob Hope Collection Volume 2. Now, these are all movies that have been out before from many, many different places. Uh, Bob Hope's movies from, well, most of his movies have been out from public domain houses countless times. Uh, and uh, now from Shout Factory, we're getting them in kind of compact sets, so you don't have to go out and get them in like 15 different uh, volumes anymore. Eventually, this will probably all be in one set, uh, but Volume 2 now adds the following films to what previously came out in Volume 1. The Great Lover, Cancel My Reservation, Paris Holiday, The Private Navy of Sergeant O'Farrell, Son of Paleface, and How to Commit Marriage. The one here that has not been widely available is Cancel My Reservation, which is also not that good. But The Private Navy of Sergeant O'Farrell is great. The Great Lover is terrific. Uh, Son of Paleface is awesome. And How to Commit Marriage is pretty good. So, um, you know, if you want to have a little more compact set of that, check it out. Also, from uh, the remarkable and fantastic people at Shout Factory is what I think it just might be one of the picks of the week. I mean, there are a couple other movies that I'm uh, particularly fond of. Mark may feel differently, but Mark... I love Ernie Kovacs. Oh, my gosh. He's, He's the, the Kovac. He's the best. This is the Ernie Kovacs collection. And here's the thing about Ernie Kovacs. Um, Ernie Kovacs is, is, does not get enough credit today for what he pioneered in comedy. Ernie Kovacs, I would even go so far as to say, is the father of what has been done in late-night television comedy for on all of the late-night talk shows now for a number of years. I think a lot of what Letterman does is basically Ernie Kovacs. I think a lot of what Conan did is Ernie Kovacs-inspired. I think, I think basically, I think that the, the generation of late-night hosts, and maybe the last generation too, essentially a combination of Ernie Kovacs and Steve Allen. I agree. Those were the guys that they really are. sort of together melded, became what the modern talk show host was. There is, there's over 13 hours of stuff here, that, a lot of which has just been mined from the archives and finally put together. I mean, there is stuff here from the early days of television when Kovacs was just doing all kinds of crazy yeah. stuff. Wolfgang von Sauerbraden. Oh, my gosh. Uh, a lot of stuff that he did on, on various morning and evening shows for NBC. Andy Gruesome. ABC specials. Um, I mean, it's, it's just amazing. There's a, there's a bonus booklet here that's got a lot of great stuff on it. This is absolutely Absolutely fantastic, and and let me let me just say here's the thing about Ernie Kovacs. When you watch this, you you will just start to make all kinds of connections. I mean, unbelievable connections. You'll go, oh my gosh, like that's sort of like what Jimmy Kimmel did the other night, and wow, I can't believe that's. Uh, you know who's more like Ernie Kovacs than any of the rest of them? And you may disagree with me on this, but I'm going to tell you I'll, who the the heir apparent to Ernie Kovacs is right now. Um, let me see. Hang on, Matt Lauer. Yeah, that's not that, that, <laughs> not not what I was thinking. Uh, uh, the guy from House, Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon. Do you do you watch much Jimmy Fallon? Um, I've seen a couple of clips on YouTube. It's you know what? It seems like he really found a different way to a different oh, way it, to host a, a late night show. Absolutely. I mean, he he does a lot of I mean, the the high production value on a lot of the bits that they do is very impressive. He's really raised the bar. It's not enough to sort of do what Letterman and Conan did where you just do some shtick in studio, right? Or you run out on the street and you do a little shtick. I mean, it's very highly produced, like these, you know, these serialized dramas that he does. Um, But he does these bits in studio that are straight up Ernie Kovacs. Like one, you have to check this out. uh, It's a song that he sings, Won't You Pop My Balloon, Okay. And Tracy Morgan comes in with this weird mustache, wearing this white spandex jumpsuit that's showing everything he's got, doing this crazy little dance with balloons basically attached to his crotch. While Jimmy Fallon is singing the song, Won't You Pop My Balloon. Okay, that is so tweaked 
that is so weird. Now, it is so off the wall. Is what you yet, put in my balloon, is, is, is that an actual song? It's a song they wrote for the episode, for okay, the show. Got it. it is uh, unbelievably funny, yet so comedically risky. I, it's, it's just from Mars. And it's the kind of thing that, you know, you could just see Ernie Kovacs sitting in comedy heaven, wherever he is, and just smiling and laughing and realizing that that kind of comedy would not exist if not for what he had pioneered. And frankly, um, it, you know, you can't do that kind of comedy anywhere but television. It only works on television. And I don't know why. Like, if you were, at a, you know, watching that on the street, if you were just walking down the Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica or Universal City Walk and somebody was doing that exact same shtick, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't be funny. For some reason, on television, it's funny. And that was the genius of Ernie Kovacs. I want to watch this. He's the man. He is the, he man. Is the man. He's the man, Ernie Kovacs. So definitely get that. And if you're not into television... Check out Gaumont Treasures, Volume 2. Uh, this is a long overdue. Kino, some time back, gosh, months now, it seems like, maybe six or seven months, released a Volume 1. And these are three more DVDs with another, like, 75 or so um, very early films from Gaumont, the French company, uh, from the silent era, made between 1908 and 1916. And uh, the French, of course, have always been much better at preserving their archives, uh, their archival and classic material than the Americans did, because from that same period, we have lost hundreds of films. And yet, Gaumont, one company, has all of that stuff preserved, and God bless them, because it really gives you a great insight into how the, uh, the form evolved in Europe during the silent era. Uh, this is absolutely terrific. Uh, ten hours worth of material that just uh, contrasts so fabulously well with uh, with the American stuff. This is actually, you know, they've been harassing me to, to teach a class again at, uh, at at the collegiate level, and I haven't really wanted to. But this makes me want to because oh, I this could, stuff's great. I could I could show this stuff. I mean, I could just like bring this along, and course is done. Here, this is the class. Watch these DVDs, and then I'll just I'll just go take a nap. And then you would truly be a teacher. I would truly be a teacher at that point. That's right. <laughs> No, no syllabus required. No syllabus required. Uh, and then uh, before we get into some of this other stuff, um, we have got a, the Ingrid Bergman in Sweden box set. Ingrid Bergman in Sweden is also from Kino, and this contains three films that she made before she became kind of an English language sensation. I'm going to go uh, and say that only one of these is really noteworthy, and it's been released previously, although this is far and away the best transfer of it, and that's Intermezzo. Uh, Intermezzo is um, is a very very good film from 1936, and uh, I, it's uh, you know what this is the I mean this is basically the one that that kind of got her hired by David O. Selznick. She went on to make the two other films in here after that, but it, it, it was Intermezzo that really kind of made her a an international star. Um, the other two films are A Woman's Face and June Night. I think June Night is kind of crappy, to be honest. Um, it's way melodramatic and just too much for me. But A Woman's Face is middling. Um, it's not as thrillery as it thinks it is, but it's, uh, it's okay. It's, it's not great. So all of these are in Swedish, English subtitles. Um, and if you already have Intermezzo, I wouldn't worry about it. Intermezzo is enough. The other two films, not essential, unless you're some kind of a fetishist and you know a completist. Then go for it. Yes, wait. All right. Yes, Mark, we got new movies. Blu-ray time. Yeah, baby. Uh, these are mostly catalog titles, except the last is a Blu-ray that Wade loved from last year. Yeah. But first, we'll start with Much Ado About Nothing, which is from 1993, directed by Kenneth Branagh. Oh, Branagh, of course, is, uh, is, is, the, is the great modern director and interpreter of uh, Shakespeare on film. Yep. And uh, by the way, Thor was reviewed by the trades out of Australia, oh, where and? it premiered, and they both liked it. Interesting. Uh, you know, it's inter- it, it makes sense that they would premiere uh, Thor in Australia because you know Thor is is originally um, from the pantheon of uh, Australian mythology. <laughs> well, Thor was a. Uh... It's Norwegian. Why? Yeah, seriously, like, why not premiere the film in? St- Look, Australia doesn't have much by way of population on uh, on Sweden and Norway, so just premiere the thing in Stockholm for crying out loud. Oh, you're right, yeah, you're right. yeah, those Australians and their mythological gods. <laughs> Anyway, this is not a bad film. This is, uh, you know, it's uh, it's uh, unlike Branagh's Henry VIII, of course. Uh, uh, you know, this is one of Shakespeare's it's comedies, so, so it's light and it's fun. And Keanu Reeves actually isn't bad. It's got a good cast: Kate Beckinsale, Emma Thompson, Denzel Washington, which I, he, he's just terrific. 
And uh, it's a good movie. There right. is a featurette uh, making of, which is okay. This is Kate Beckinsale's big film debut, by the way. This is the film that Kate Beckinsale she was she was you know she plays hero in this, and this was the this was her first big thing. Pretty great, pretty great movie. Love this movie, but boy, MGM they got they got to do better transfers. Uh, Benny and June is also on DVD. Benny and June was um, you know Johnny Depp mm-hmm. doing basically Chaplin. Doing basically Chaplin. This is um, this is one of this is one of Depp's first kind of uh, breakout movie roles, don't you think? It was it was one of the early breakout roles for him. Uh, well, kind of. I mean, he was already a star at the time, but it was one of the ones that sort of said, "Hey, this guy can do weird, different, interesting stuff." Which is really all he's done it's since forever. Yeah. I mean, now he's done Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, and it's a, Willy it's a, Wonka. It's a weird, twisted, offbeat. Romance, quirky romance, and uh, he's charming in it. You can tell that he auditioned for and lost out because this was around the same time that uh, Robert Downey Jr. got Chaplin, and you can tell that that he probably auditioned for it or wanted it or kind of chased it and didn't get it, and still kind of had that cha- that Jones for doing Chaplin. So he gets it out of his system by doing it in this movie, and he does it well. I mean, you realize that had Robert Downey Jr. not done Chaplin so brilliantly. They probably easily could have cast Johnny Depp and had just as I mean, just as good of a movie. Sure, uh, Johnny Depp plays uh, the brother. Mary Stuart Masterson plays the sister, and uh, it's good. Very quirky little comedy directed by Jeremiah Chechik, who yeah. uh, did a bunch of stuff, but none of it particularly. He uh, went on. He went on to um, basically bungle his um, career when he did uh, the Avengers. Yeah, and, and by that's the way, right. that's not the Avengers. It's you know the Marvel superheroes. It's the Avengers based on the British TV show that I had know. Ray Fiennes and Uma Thurman and really tanked. Bad times. Also, bad times is uh, the Kevin Klein and Ashley Judd um, dealy deal. The oh Lovely, my gosh, which I saw so at the Cannes Film Festival. Actually, this was so terrible, and it was not good. It was um, Kevin Klein as Cole Porter, and. Part of the sell of it was that there was some interesting performances that were very kind of period performances, even though they're modern well, artists like Elvis Costello, Sheryl Crow, it, Alanis Morissette, Robbie Williams. But it, it, it really, really plays up the fact that Cole Porter was gay. I mean, really plays it up, which is interesting because the, the previous biopic, the old black and white biopic, the Cole Porter story, obviously didn't touch on that because nobody knew at the time. And even if they did, it was taboo. So this really, really plays it up. But... It plays it like the whole thing, the whole structure of the film is odd, and it just never, it never felt right. But it also, they also play up the whole gay angle in a really lascivious way, which I thought was kind of tacky. Yeah, the whole thing is done. Like very it was good. sort of, it was sort of like it was a, it was a tabloid treatment of his, of his life, and I didn't think it was very respectful. Uh, I agree. A bunch of special features, including an audio commentary by director Erwin Winkler and Kevin Klein, another audio commentary by Klein and writer Jay Cox, uh, making of. Uh, you know, terrible cute, film. Terrible film. Uh, Lars and the Real Girl, which I kind of liked, a quirky little film by uh, Craig Gillespie. This is about a, a a guy who falls in love with a doll, a life size doll, doll named Bianca. And you know, it's one of those films where it seems quirky and crazy and wacky and a little offbeat on the on the outside, but on the inside, it's telling a deep and meaningful story about uh, this guy's inability to, to connect. And it's good. It's good stuff. Wait, did you like this movie? Didn't see it. Really? Nope, didn't see it. Ryan Gosling, uh, Emily Mortimer, who I always like. I love Emily Mortimer. Yeah. She's wonderful. P- Patricia Clarkson. Yeah. No, it's, it's good stuff. Um, there are n- uh, their special features include pretty much um, a couple featurettes and not I, much else. I met Emily Mortimer at that uh, AFI Fest when I was on the Shorts jury those years ago. And, uh, She's cute. She was on the, another jury. There were three juries that year. and We all kind of... OJ know. jury? What? The OJ jury? Exactly. But she was delightful. Uh, Mystic Pizza, which is the coming out party for Julia Roberts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mystic Pizza. I remember that. But it's got, a great, it's got a great cast otherwise, too. Annabeth Gish, Lily Taylor, Vincent, uh, I, wh- Vincent so, so Philip D'Onofrio. So you're saying that Satisfaction was not her coming out party? No, Playing second really. fiddle to, to Justine Bateman? Not really. No? You'd okay. have to say it's... Uh, <laughs> and, and by the way, this is directed... Talk about journeyman like Jeremiah Cheshire. This yeah. is directed by Donald Petrie. Oh, man. These guys, they, 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 Howard Hawks, they are not. Exactly. Anyway, um, it's fine, whatever. Yeah. Uh, the film that Wade loves that I was lukewarm on is Peter Weir's The Way Back. Yeah, baby. Uh, the Way Back is based on an amazing story of a group of um, concentration camp 
What well, do you call gulag. They're gulag. They're gulag residents. Yes. What do you call them? They're gulag, they're gulag prisoners. Inmates. Inmates. And they basically escaped it's, it's the gulag. The, you know, it was, it's, the, the, I mean, it's, we, we talked about this before, but it's such a great film. I think this is a great film. It's a great old school adventure film. It's old fashioned, long takes and good acting and great vistas and no special effects. And You Peter, love the vistas. That's what you I love. I love vistas. It's, but it, look, I mean, it's based you on the book. You are a sucker for vistas. It's based on the book. And Peter Weir knew that the book had some questionable history in it. And they went and they basically made a movie that corrected a lot of the misperceptions and the, the exaggerations and told what they thought was the truest story of these guys who basically escaped from a gulag in the dead of winter in the middle of Russia and Siberia and uh, trekked all the way through hell and uh, every imaginable uh, obstacle in their way and found their way through the, uh, the Himalayas and into India. I mean, it's a great adventure story. It's wonderful. You don't get movies like that anymore. But you know what? I will say this. Of all the films we just talked about, this is the one that most deserves to be seen on Blu-ray. Yeah, absolutely. It's, Colin there Farrell's are, great in this movie. Yeah, that is true. And there are some great um, vistas in it, as Wade says. Special features include a uh, featurette and a trailer, which means basically nothing, which means that the film was dumped out there, didn't do well, which is what happens when you dump a film out there, and now it's on a Blu-ray that is vaguely acceptable. Mm. But if you like uh, real life, esca- uh, real life, you know, escape stories, war stories, you will like the way back. All right, we got three crap films right now. Um, good sell, Wade. Good sell. Thank you. I, this is look. This is this represents crap. This is junk and crap and and crap and junk. Uh, Jack Black's star has been sinking now for years. I mean, I, I, you know, Kung Fu Panda Two will probably pop him a little bit again. But let's face it, when Jack Black is on screen playing himself, how many movies does he need to sink before people realize that he's just not a star? He's not a star. School of Rock, fine, good. King Kong, he didn't do anything in King Kong. Uh, th- that friggin' uh, the, the Nacho Libre didn't do anything in that, you know. <laughs> Gulliver's Travels, this thing, Gulliver's Travels, this thing sank like a rock. It re- that was that movie. That was one of the, one of the, the coffin nails for 3D. There, there was one week. There was this one two-week period where everybody, oh, 3D. And then Yogi Bear and Gulliver's Travels came out, both of them in 3D, and they both sank and tanked right at the end of the year in a big holiday season, right when all the parents should be dragging their kids out to see 3D movies. And these two movies aimed squarely to make them pay uh, more for 3D tickets, tanked. If you want to read a classic uh, pan, gosh. you have to read A.O. Scott's pan of Gulliver, Gulliver's Travels in the New York Times because he writes it. In the in the language, oh really, of the original work, really, oh that's great, and it is a pan written as if it was written two hundred years ago, and it is brilliant. You know that that kind of reviewing sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. Manola tried that with one was it was it the Cat in the Hat? I think it was the Cat in the Hat. It was one of the Dr. Seuss films that she wrote in Dr. Seuss rhyme, and it was sort of cute, but didn't quite work. I did it, believe it or not. Do you know I do you, do you remember when I did that? I do not. I, I wrote <laughs> I wrote a review for Box Office of Beavis and Butthead to America in Beavis as as a dialogue between Beavis and Butthead. And I and I'm not I can't remember if I really pulled it off, but it was fun to write. Anyway, uh, Gulliver's Travel Travels a completely reimagined. This has nothing to do with the book, uh, nothing to do with Jonathan Jonathan Swift's work and whatsoever. It's just Jack Black as a dude in a whole postmodern, completely re- re- reconceived uh, rock and roll kind of Gulliver's Travel story. It's dreadful. It's horrible. It's, uh, it is truly an unwatchable film. They sent this to us on uh, not the 3D version with the glasses, but a regular Blu-ray uh, DVD combo. Honestly, I missed it in the theater. Can't get through it. It's just too unbelievably bad. Um, and then we also have Ashley Tisdale, who is one of those Disney creations that they just can't stop milking. Uh, another Blu-ray DVD combo, uh, an original Disney TV production. This is or straight to DVD. Uh, Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure. Uh, you know what? If you're a tween, if you're a girl who's a tween, you will probably love everything about this. This is kind of like uh, Sex in the City for 13-year-olds. But it honestly, it maybe I just don't know the whole Sharpay thing. But I just thought this was unwatchably stupid. And uh, then we got Ray Liotta, guy who should be doing better films. 
Whatever happened to the guy from Goodfellas? Where where is that guy? I don't know. Man, I don't know. You know what? Now now he's got a bunch of bad plastic surgery. Yeah, I know. As if he's trying to pretend he's still thirty eight years old. Yeah, it's not happening. I mean, it's like it it went straight downhill after Goodfellas, and then there's a few things in there like No Escape that's pretty good. But then like my last memory of him and thinking, oh, you're a sad man, was in in uh, Hannibal. Ooh, I remember Hannibal where he eats his own brain. Well, it, it, yeah. It, where, that, where, his, it that was moment, a pretty that, legendary turn there. That moment at the end when, when Anthony Hopkins is like slicing off pieces of his brain and frying them up and feeding them to him, that's just the stupidest moment. It, it's like macabre and gruesome and stupid all at the same time. I don't know how you do that. Uh, he's, he's done a lot of crappy well, stuff. Anyway. You know what? Uh, Crossing Over wasn't very good. No. He was in Observe and Report, which I thought was kind of a funky movie. Youth and Revolt, not very good. No. Well, anyway, uh, this is a really cheesy crime film uh, that he did here. It's on. Uh, they sent it to us on a Blu-ray and a DVD combo. It is Street Kings 2, Motor City, unrated. Uh, first of all, Street Kings 1, I don't even remember Street Kings 1. We see a lot of movies, but I, I you know. It Street probably wasn't called Street Kings 1. It was probably called Street Kings. Yeah, well, whatever it was. Uh, Ray Liotta, you know, he's okay, but it, this is just an incredibly average, straight-to-DVD production. And uh, Sean Hattosi actually is, is a better presence in the film. But anyway, dreadful. Just dreadful. Um, but you know what's not dreadful, Mark? Uh, Star Wars. We got a couple of criterions here. Ooh, is that a, is that is that a Lochian thing I'm seeing? It's a Lochian thing, yeah. I love the Loach. You you, you like the Loach, don't you? Of course, you? I love Ken Loach. Uh, the Loach film is Kez, and uh, you know, it's originally it's based on a book called A Kestrel for a Knave, which of course means nothing to me. A Kestrel for a Knave, I don't you know, I don't I don't speak that Lochy language. Don't you know? Not really, no. Um, but uh, this is from 1970. This is an old Ken Loach film, and uh, from that period when Ken Loach was really kind of making his mark, and there was a whole new breed of uh, a British cinema kind of in the works. And, you know, this is before Freer's really kind of took off and before Mike Lee's big movies. Re- I mean, well, Lee was like, doing some like stuff. This is like after Kitchen Sink, but before yeah, Freer's. Exactly. Little... It's in that little, uh, that little notch, and uh, this is... Really, actually, incredibly good. I mean, it's a it's it's a working class drama like all of his stuff, but it is uh, it it's, is it's a, it's about it's about a boy and his falcon. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's about a boy and his falcon. <laughs> Isn't that really pretty much the movie? Uh, yeah, okay, fine. I I guess so. Uh, you know, Kez means a, it's a kestrel, right? Which is a bird. Mm-hmm. Right, it's basically like a falcon. Right. But anyway, no, it is. It's a terrific film. It was, uh, you know, it, it it's not. It's beyond the BBC kind of thing. But it's uh, it's got heaps of extras on here. Uh, you just, you know, a 1993 profile of Ken Loach looking back and uh, some early television stuff. It's just, it's great. You got to get this if you if you really love that kind of uh, that working class stuff that Loach and Lee and. And Freer is really pioneered. That, that's it. Oh, Loach is great. I mean, come on. Uh, Wind that shakes the barley. Sweet sixteen. My uh, name is Joe. I know. Peter I, Mullen, I, man. I, I interviewed him once. You know, he's a really sweet, soft-spoken man. Really? Yeah. Unlike uh, Mike Lee. Mike Lee he, is. He's, he's, he's a bit prickly. Mike oh, prickly is, a, <laughs> is putting it mildly. Mike Mike Lee Mike Lee will like Mike Lee is intimidating to interview. Ken Loach is almost shy. And you, you know, just kind of, you know, he's very, very sweet. Mike, Mike Lee really challenges you. It's sort of like, ask me one dumb question and I'm out of here. That's, and that's sort of how Mike Lee is. Just, you, you, just, you're on notice. Ask me one, just say one stupid thing. I dare you. Well, Ken Loach was born in 1936. He's like 70-something years old. I know. I know. It's amazing. Feels like he's just started. And then from 1989, also from on Criterion Blu-ray, and Kez, by the way, that's the Blu-ray that they sent us, uh, also on Criterion Blu-ray is uh, Jane Campion's Sweetie. Yeah. Uh, this is um, the, uh, the first feature-length film that Jane Campion made. She had previously made a short film that won the, uh, the short Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival, so she was already somebody on the move at the time. And uh, in 1989, she made her first film, Sweetie, which is... Um, Really, a fascinating sister relationship film. Uh, a little creepy, but uh, really very. It's unbelievably original. I mean, you just get her style and you get her sense of character and the way she photographs things. And I guarantee you there are no two sisters in the world like these two. But the film itself is really, really very sharp, and it's got a terrific commentary that includes Jane Campion, but you know a, a bunch of other people on it, including the screenwriter. 
And uh, it's just great. you got to get this. Uh, if you're a Jane Campion fan like I am, it is a must-own. Now, Mark, are you a fan of the Harry Potter? I am not. So Because I'm not 13 years old. Okay. I mean, I used to be, but I'm I, not now. You know, let's talk about this. We're, we're going to talk for a moment about the Blu-ray DVD of the... Uh, Deathly Hollows 1, Part 1. Yeah, de- well, yeah. Death, which is like Harry Potter six, Part 6, Part 1. Yes. Right. Um, I actually like this film. This is maybe... I, I've been, the, the more that I've thought about it, the more it kind of hangs with me. And it's the vistas. It's got a lot of vistas, a lot of loneliness. There's a lot of Antonioni in this uh, no, Harry Potter. There is not. No, I, I know I'm sounding kind of nerdy, but there, there, there are moments where it's all about loneliness and starkness. It's very Bergman-y. It's <laughs> the most Bergman-y Harry Potter. Uh, you, you've gone over the edge. I know, I've gone over the edge. All I know is, is this the one, with, uh, is this the one where the werewolves and the vampires fight it out? Uh, no. Oh, that's the This other is the one. one where Ray Fiennes has no nose. <laughs> Which you still, know, creep, I, still I, creeps me out. It's funny because, like, the, the one you've got to give Warner Brothers credit for actually doing well by the series. You know, it yeah. started out with two films directed by the increasingly awful Chris Columbus. Yeah. And uh-huh. they're just, uh, they were lame, and you thought, is this how it's going to be? But then Warner Brothers slowly honored the material, and they made the movies darker and darker with more interesting directors. And you got you kind of have to hand it to him. And uh, you're right. This Deathly Hollows one is is, is it's not bad. It's okay. I I, I get it. Um, will I see Deathly Hollows two? Probably not. <laughs> you know I I well it's gonna be in 3D. And it looks gorgeous by the way. The the, the no the all, all of them are terrific. I it's just here's the thing that I'm gonna warn people about. You know they um oh oh and this this is the big the big plug here that it has the opening scene of the final film right that's the that's the big thing it's like ooh really I don't have to wait for the last. It's just a hook. Don't 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 buy the bait. Don't take the bait. It's the it's just to get you all juiced up. It's like you saw the final film, the final scene of this one, the opening. No, forget and it. someone will rip it and put it on YouTube anyway. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> but here's the thing: they've been eventually releasing these mega Uber editions of all these things on Blu-ray, and you know that this one's going to get the same release. Oh so, yeah. So I, you know, in a, I I almost would warn people away from getting this and just wait until the big Uber version, the the one that's not going to be promoting the opening scene of the final film. Just wait for that to come out. And besides, there's only one more film set to come out, and it's coming out this summer. So you know that in just about seven months' time, end of the year, we're going to be getting announced the the final big honking all seven film mega set on Blu-ray. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. So just wait for that. By you the don't way, have to get this now. By the way, can I, can I just say something? Yeah, go ahead. I would like to make a, a DVD recommendation. And I, I'm making this DVD recommendation. Yes. I'm, I'm going off the charts now. Go. I'm going off the grid. Go off the grid. Because Michael Sarazen died. Uh, yeah. Earlier today, as we record this. Yeah. And uh, you got to go rent uh, They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Wow. You can also rent Midnight Cowboy. But I love They Shoot Horses, Don't They? That's good, That's good yeah. Because uh, Sarazen uh, died of cancer. He was 70. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I now return you to your regular podcast. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to uh, give a very unusual recommendation to uh, this thing called FUBAR, Balls to the Wall. Uh, You know, this is, I almost don't quite know how to describe this thing, but this is like if Beavis and Butthead were, were real and like 25, 30 years old, they would be these two guys. And uh, I, this is from Screen Media. It's on Blu-ray. It, it's a straight-to-DVD release, straight-to-Blu-ray release. And, uh, it, you know, it's just a, a, a profile of these two slacker, you know, rock-and-roller dudes, these two headbangery slacker guys. Um, it's kind of funny, and I found it kind of oddly charming in a weird way. And, uh, I, you know, it, it's been at a few festivals, but uh, if you want to find a weird little uh, discovery, you might want to check this out. It's FUBAR, F-U-B-A-R. Uh, balls to the wall. Now, FUBAR, of course, you know what FUBAR stands for, right? Effed up beyond all recognition. That's right. People don't know that. It's kind of like a snafu. I know I know, lovely little old church-going ladies who will occasionally say things like, all, oh, well, that's a real snafu, not realizing what snafu stands for. Tell everyone. A situation normal, all effed up. It's a military term. It's a military, anachron- uh, military what is it, uh, Acronym? Acronym, yeah. I was going to say anachronism, but that's not yeah. right. Acronym. Like, like, like scuba. 
Yeah. Like uh, scuba, which stands for uh, self-contained underwater breathing yes, apparatus. Exactly. But there are certain there are certain words that you don't realize are acronyms. Like scuba, we just thought was like when I was a kid, scuba just seemed like a word. Yeah, exactly. It didn't seem like an, an acronym. Yeah, but it is. But it is. Yeah. What other word? What other acronyms are good? What what, what other acronyms are there that well, you don't realize they're acronyms, yet they are? I don't know. Neither do I. How about this NATO? Oh, oh, you know what? Actually, here's one. Laser. People don't realize that That's laser right. is an acronym. Yes, it Light is. Light amplification by simulated emission of radiation. That's it. Laser. Very good. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, we have got another film here that is also one of my favorite films of last year, in addition to The Way Back, which is Rabbit Hole. Rabbit Hole is a terrific film. It's on Blu-ray. I recommend it on Blu-ray. It will tear your heart out. Turn the lights out. Sit down with a loved one. Hold their hands. Make sure the kids are asleep. And uh, then shoot them. And then, <laughs> and you'll just cry your eyes out. It is, a, it is a powerful, beautiful, wonderful film. It only got one Oscar nomination, which was for uh, Nicole Kidman's performance, which is unbelievable. Maybe the best thing that she's ever done on film. Uh, Aaron Eckhart, also very, very good in this. And, um, it, you know, it is based on a Broadway play for which... Um, uh, what's her name from Sex and the City? Uh, the, uh, the Cynthia Nixon. Cynthia Nixon won a Tony for it, and uh, so you're you're you know you're already walking into a loaded situation when the role was Tony nominated for another actress, and she got an Oscar nomination for it, which tells you just how good this film is. It is directed by uh, John Cameron Mitchell, who previously did uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, who is a an outstanding director because this is not at all the kind of thing you would have expected somebody who's kind of so oriented toward edgy, uh, fassbender type, uh, you know, surreality to do because it's a, this is basically a movie about a couple who have lost a child and it is about the ordeal of them trying to get through the remainder of their lives and hold their relationship together. Absolutely awesome. Sandra Oh is great. Uh, Diane Wiest is great. The kid in it is this, the kid who, is kind of, there's another kid who's sort of a central figure. I won't give any more details. But this film movie is awesome. It is just awesome. And I'm thrilled that it got a PG-13 because the emotions alone are so raw that it very easily could have gotten an R. Um, do not miss this. Please, please watch this film on Blu-ray and, uh, and do yourself a great favor. Oh, great way. You get Rabbit Hole. I get Short Circuit 2. Yes. I knew you'd love that. You the, the great thing about Short Circuit 2, which is the 1988 sequel to 1986's Short Circuit. And just so you don't feel too bad, i got to handle this. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, thank you. Uh, the amazing thing about Short Circuit 2 is that uh, Fisher Stevens, somehow between the first movie and the second movie, uh, his character's last name changed. It just did. That's so weird. In the first film, his last name was like uh, Jabatuya or something. In the yeah. second film, his last name is Jarvie. <laughs> Why is that? Don't know. It all makes no sense. Anyway, it's uh, what the reason why we love Short Circuit Two, and when yeah. I say we love it, I mean we don't love it, is because it was directed by Kenneth Johnson. Now Kenneth Johnson was uh, an, uh, his early TV work included Six Million Dollar Man, yeah, Bionic Woman, that's right, Incredible Hulk, and uh, he's also the creator. Of V, the original V. Oh, is he really? I didn't yes. know that. Kenneth Johnson, the director him. of Short I, Circuit 2. I remember him from The Six Million Dollar Man, for sure. The creator of V. So he, he's a creator of V, but we can't let him off the hook completely for Short Circuit 2. You know who we also can't let off the hook? Steven Seagal. That's right. He's the best. You know what? I, I'm not going to ask you to tell your Steven Seagal stories. <laughs> <laughs> they're just they're just too terrifying. But but uh Steven Seagal is uh, is in a new film straight to Blu-ray, straight to DVD, Born to Raise Hell. Born to Raise Hell. Street justice has no rules. Honestly, uh, it, You know what? There are guys there there are guys out there in Europe, Eastern Europe, they'll give him his money, they'll fly out there, he'll do the movie, <sighs> come back, spend it on whatever he spends it on and then uh, fly back and do another movie in Europe. Here's the thing. You know why he's doing these movies in Europe? Because... Tax incentives. That's it. There's really, it's just like, where, where do we have a tax incentive? Okay, let's go there and we'll think up something to make. Well, you know what? All, he's still, he's still a, you know, internationally where there's still like, in some of these countries where it's still 1982. Yeah, right. You that's, know? <laughs> that's kind of true. Steven Seagal is, he's a draw. Yeah, it's like Ukraine or wherever. Yes. Yeah, I know. It's like still 19, that's really a good point. Anyway, it's you know what this is just dumb. He's he's some kind of Interpoli type guy who's running around with a commando team, uh, 
trying to run interference between Russian gangsters and gypsy drug dealers or some nonsense. And uh, it, uh, you know, it, it, one of his guys gets killed and then he's got to seek revenge. It's terrible. Um, he, here's the problem. It, it, he's been so overexposed and he's fat, man. He's fat. He's not. He's just. He's fat. But he, he's been overexposed, but not here in the in the states. All he's got going for him is the uh, is the reality show, <sighs> Lawman. My gosh, whatever, whatever. All right, uh, a couple more of these Blu-rays, and then uh, we got some listener mail. Uh, real quickly, Mortal Kombat Annihilation is out on Blu-ray. Uh, Thank I, God. Yeah. Right. Right. I I don't. Fuh. Even... Fuck. <laughs> I don't even know how many of these. Blah. I don't even know how many of these they've made. Is Blah. Mortal, is Mortal Kombat even a game anymore? I Like is there any frame of reference? Is there any reason why they keep making these? Who knows. Oh my gosh. Well anyway, this uh I, you know I gave up after the first one, and this is just more of the same, and it's terrible. And I don't even know if this thing is straight to... It, it, you know, Robin Shue is in it, so it, this must have been like the second or the third film, but I, who knows? It's just... They, they're bad, and, that, and, the, and they're bad for, the, for this reason. They're bad because they didn't learn anything from how martial arts films are made, and we're going to talk momentarily uh, about uh, a good one. They don't, didn't learn anything about how martial arts films are made in Hong Kong and in... Thailand. They just they do it the American style and it's lame and it just sucks. And then lastly, before we get to some listener mail, uh, somewhere the uh, Sofia Coppola film, which a lot of people really hate. Uh, I liked it. I like this film a lot, but you really need to see this. Get it on Blu-ray and watch it on a big screen because you need to let it wash over you. It is a slow film. It is a deliberate film. It's a it's a film that you're, if you're not paying full attention to it and if you're not really focusing on the big picture, you're going to lo- miss everything. It's all about letting it just kind of wash over you. And uh, it's, you know, Stephen Dorff plays an actor who um, kind of has all the success in the world and yet a very empty life. And Elle Fanning plays his daughter. And it is about uh, a period of time that he gets to spend with his daughter for reasons that will become clear in the film. And uh, it sort of opens up new vistas in his life. It, it, uh, it won the Venice Film Festival. It is uh, not as good as Lost in Translation, I will say that, but it's a very poignant film based in a lot of the experiences that uh, Sofia Coppola had when she was traveling with her dad um, when he was kind of doing press tours as he was a hot filmmaker in the 70s. And uh, you know what? Um, it's very, very poignant, and it makes a nice companion film to Lost in Translation in that it is about people struggling with alienation and living out of hotels. Both films. That is true. Very good. Now, wait, while you uh, dish up some um, viewer mail, yeah. and we'll do the viewer mail, and then we'll pretty much uh, say bye-bye, I have good news on the BD front, Wade. Yes, what is good G- on the, the BD front, using the acronym for Blu-ray Disc. That's right, Laser, I am. June 7th. Yes. Two Blu-ray set. Yeah. Dust Boat. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yes. June 7th? June 7th. Mark it down. Director's commentary, historical material, featurettes. Das Boot, which, by the way, is German for the boot. That's so awesome. <laughs> That's great. No, I'm thrilled. Oh, yeah, totally. Way to go. Well, well done, Sony. That's pretty cool. All right, here we go. Uh, some listener mail. Jordan Willis wrote us and said, Hello, Digigods. I use every digital copy I get to watch on my laptop or iPod since neither can play Blu-rays. I can watch them in the bedroom, camping, or on a trip. I also have a question. Why do DVDs and Blu-rays like the upcoming uh, Lord of the Rings extended trilogy and Watchmen not include multiple cuts of a movie on the same disc like the Alien Anthology set? Um, my answer to him gave him five reasons why. Number one, laziness. Number two, uh, because if they include multiple cuts, then they can't sell those cuts separately and make more money by forcing people to double and triple and quadruple dip. Number three, uh, some marketing people are not convinced that there's a value to multiple cuts in a single disc, and it's like throwing good money after bad, since if you're going to put a multiple cut feature on there, you need more data, the disc costs more, etc., etc., your stock costs more, so there's, there's, there is an investment involved. Uh, for limited data space, which is related to that, they'd rather devote the extra space to better audio and picture and extras. And then five, mentally debilitated monkeys doing the mastering. 
because they don't really know how. Because you could do branching on DVDs. It was considered one of the big features that DVDs were supposed to use. And how many DVDs actually used branching for different features? Zero. Like three. It was like three. I think Independence Day was one, and maybe one of the Terminator films was another. And that was it. It was insane. So big losers there. Uh, another mail from uh, Jason Vargo says, guys, wasn't going to say anything, but you kind of cornered me on this when you and Mark mentioned evolution and what men and women generally look for in a mate. As a longtime listener and a very longtime gay guy, I'll tell you that what I was looking for before I met my partner of about six and a half years, not so much money or job or looks, but is he a nice guy? Is he going to treat me well? Can we have a good time together? What is his moral character? How does he interact with family and friends, et cetera, et cetera? Um, and yes, Mark, looks do come into the picture. So there, screw what anyone else thought of on that count. He says, speaking of health DVDs, and this, was, of course, was the, uh, you know, our discussion about exercise DVDs. That's where all that came into, came into play. Uh, I wanted to give a shout-out to a book called Just 10 Pounds, Mark, with your, your weight. Just think about this, okay, your weight issue. This is, this is timely, right? The author came and spoke to our company in February, and what he says isn't revolutionary. He just gives you tips and ideas of different things to do, which you may or may not thought of. Become a cheerleader for someone else, and that positive energy will come back to you, making you feel great. See? I always feel great, Wade. A lot of people at work, me included, stand at our desks. According to live, long, live strong uh, control portions, be conscious of what you eat, and basically stand up. It burns a huge amount of calories in just eight hours. See? Be a nice guy. Stop being such a jerk. I walk a mile every day. Do you really? I do. I Seriously? walk from my office to the Grove and back every day. Seriously? For lunch. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, well, then why am I five pounds heavier? I don't know. Maybe you need to run. I'm not, I'm not running. I'm running seven miles tomorrow, man. <sighs> seven miles. After I, you know, get this show eat produced a, and all that stuff. And, have to eat it. And I've got, I've, got, I've, got, I've got six more films to watch for freaking for NPR on Friday. It's insane. Um, and then lastly, Lars Kulsing writes uh, regarding the Spartacus Blu-ray, and he says, the 50th anniversary Spartacus Blu-ray has been criticized for its over-enhancement, and the Criterion Collection DVD is still regarded as the best release of the classic film, even by the restorer of the film itself, uh, himself, Robert Harris, who came forth to bash the release. Is there a new Blu-ray uh, release in the works for the movie? I would love to buy it. I just would, I would love to have the definitive release, and I don't want to buy the movie twice. And um, Robert Harris, uh, full disclosure, is a, is a good friend of mine, and uh, we, go, we go back a ways out of the whole Lawrence of Arabia fetishist group. And, uh, yeah, he's not fond of the Blu-ray. And um, I, the Blu-ray is fine if you're watching it on a small television or if you're not really a, a super purist. It's perfectly fine. The, uh, but up-converted the Criterion. I'd get the Criterion just because the extras are tremendous. The odds of getting a better Blu-ray, mm, dodgy. Maybe if Universal kind of gets their act together and, and actually does it at some point in the future, but they need some pressure to do that. They are never going to let Criterion actually get another crack at doing it on Blu-ray. They just won't. They're not going to renew that license. So there that is. Um, all right, Mark, shall I uh, blow through some of these martial arts films? Only if you promise that the show will be over after you're done. It'll be over right after I'm done. Uh, we have, uh, well, the, and then I want to mention these, these MGM things real quick, the, uh, the manufacturer-on-demand deals. Because, you know, these are kind of interesting. Here, take a look at some of these. You may have heard of some of these. Mark, you look tired. I am tired. I know. Uh, Muay Thai Fighter, uh, it's, it's pretty good. Not, not uh, the best of these Thai films. There are a lot of these Thai films that are, uh, that are coming out now. But um, this one, you know, if, you're, if you know the whole Thai kickboxing thing, the whole Tony Ja thing, uh, yeah, it, it, this will do the trick. It's uh, decent action, not such a great script. On Blu-ray, um, this is also a Thai film. This is called Vanquisher, and I think this is... Um, marginally better. It's, uh, I like the fact that it's female-oriented, a little bit like the movie Chocolate. It stars Sofita Shriban, and uh, I like her. I think she's got more in her. The movie, uh, this is not probably the best film that she will ever do, so give a look. Enjoy what she can do. This girl is a, is a she just lays them out. It's very impressive talent. And uh, then we have a thing here called Goemon. His crimes will save a nation. Uh, this is a little, this, uh, yeah, you know, a little bit too flamboyant. This is kind of like Japanese f 
mythological folklore gone completely wacky and over a cliff. And the way they're making Japanese films these days, it's a little too tricked up for me. There's a little too much digital manipulation and all that kind of jazz going on. Um, it's, uh, it's impressive in fits and starts. Probably worth a look if you're a fan of that kind of genre. But, you know, I would personally recommend The Secret of the Urn, which stars the amazing Kinosuke Nakamura. This is uh, directed by Hideo Gosha. And uh, this was made in 1966, released from the very, very cool people at Animego, who always put very interesting warnings on their DVDs. The warning on this one is, warning, contains violence, treachery, and pottery. Mark? Yes? Pottery. I don't get it. Mark, what are you doing on the other side of the room? I'm getting a head start on writing the metadata for next week. Okay. Mark's getting a head start on the metadata. Anyway, uh, no, Secret of the Urn is uh, is actually a pretty decent from a period that had all the all these great Japanese samurai sagas, uh, all these really great uh, action sagas in the in the sixties, in particular, right in the mid sixties. Um, this one really measures up pretty darn well. It all centers around a stolen urn that uh, is sort of a clue to finding a hidden treasure. And uh, this, you know, once you, once you got something like that in your possession, everybody wants a piece of you. Would have made a good video game back in the day, but it's a better movie, and, uh, you know, it's got some really, really cool action in it. Then lastly, big shout-out to Ip Man 2, Legend of the Grand Master, starring uh, Donnie Yen. This is at least as good as the first Yip Man, uh, or Ip Man, depending on how you, you know, sort of want to pronounce it. Uh, and it's fascinating that Donnie Yen is having this career revival, you know. He, uh, like, he came of age at the same time as Jackie Chan and Jet Li, and now they're sort of done, and he's having this revival. And Ip Man has a lot to do with that. This, of course, is Ip Man, the great martial arts master who taught Bruce Lee. And uh, there's going to be a third film, because uh, that's where Ip Man 2 ends with him being introduced to this young kid named Bruce Lee. It's pretty great. Uh, this, of course, is right after World War II. It's a little bit of the same thing. Uh, the plot is sort of the same as Ip Man 1, and Ip Man 1, you know, is World War II fighting the Japanese. Now it's the British colonials. It's something kind of the same dynamic, but great film. Absolutely fabulous Blu-ray transfer, uh, courtesy of the people at Wellspring who have been doing really just bang-up work on their releases lately. And then lastly, before we completely sign off, music's going to kick in soon, uh, I just want to name a few titles here from uh, the MGM uh, Manufacturer On Demand line that is being released by 20th Century Fox. Some of these films would absolutely never have seen the light of day if not for the Manufacturer On Demand system, so uh, be thankful for it. John Forsyth in Captive City. Uh, directed by Robert Wise, believe it or not. Uh, not a great film, but, uh, you know, interesting enough. And a uh, good performance by John Forsythe. Um, uh, Gregory Peck and Desi Arnaz Jr. in Billy Two Hats. A completely bizarre western that uh, had slipped me by entirely. Uh, in, not good by any means, but directed by Ted Kotcheff, who did... Uh, Uncommon, All sorts of stuff, uh, Uncommon Valor. Uncommon Valor, and who's, who's been a TV producer of one of those police things, one of those procedurals for years. Uh, Olivia de Havilland, Robert Mitchum, and Frank Sinatra in Not as a Stranger is another one that is kind of a, it's a weird medical drama that I had never even heard of. Uh, one I had heard of is uh, Queen of Blood, which is uh, kind of funny, actually. Uh, Basil Rathbone's uh, not his not his finest hour. This is a real real cheesy science fiction film from the exploitation era. Uh, this was a, an, an AIP picture uh, made for um, for uh, uh, Sam Arkoff over at AIP. It's called. It's just. It's all. It's alien vampires. That's all you need to know. Uh, Return from the Ashes, uh, directed and produced by J. Lee Thompson with Maximilian Schell, and uh, this is kind of kind of a lame one. That's that's a negligible entry. Uh, two left. The Black Sheep, another hysterical hysterical exploitation film uh, with John Carradine, Bela Lugosi, Basil Rathbone, Lon Chaney. Uh, you 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 just you will not believe what an insane, stupid, weird movie this is. Uh, haunted house and monsters. It's just completely freaky. And then lastly, How I Won the War with John Lennon and Michael Crawford. This was directed by Richard Lester. It is one of the lost Richard Lester films. People have wanted it on DVD forever. 
It never got released as a regular commercial uh, DVD, but it is now out to uh, manufacture on demand, so don't miss it, because odds are heavily against this ever being on Blu-ray. So, uh, How I Won the War, John Lennon's great performance. Mark, say goodnight. Goodnight. <laughs>